Well, good morning again. I'm going to ask you, uh, we don't do this every single Sunday, but I think today is appropriate. Uh, would you help me in just thanking the worship team and the tech team for all the work they do? Just a great job. Beautiful. Uh, I just want to give you a, a few announcements here right at the beginning uh, before I jump into the message here. The first is tonight we have this incredible opportunity. Most of you know that uh, we do this league in our church called the Challenger League. The Challenger League is put on for those with special needs, and uh, these kids are able to come every Sunday night in June and uh, out at the Little League uh, Diamond downtown. I call it downtown. It's Founder Square, right? So that's, that's where it is, downtown. And um, we just have a good time. Tonight's the last night. The game starts at 5, and uh, tonight's awards nights. There's going to be trophies handed out. There's going to be all kinds of different stuff. It's a blast. And so even if you just come and are a wallflower, cheering on these kids. It's a huge opportunity just to show love to a group of people, and I want to encourage you to, to come and be a part of that. Uh, a couple other things really quick. There's a youth missions trip coming up in July, and uh, this is a really special trip. They're headed to Ohio. They're going to be working with a homeless population in Ohio, uh, and because of that, there's a lot of cost on this end, and so we're actually looking for some adult sponsors. Uh, that would help kind of provide some scholarship for a few of our students. If you're interested in that, you can come see me after the service, or more specifically, you can see Zach. Zach was the good-looking one standing right here, and uh, he, uh, he's our youth director, and so I um, want to encourage you to, to see him if that's something that God lays on your heart. A few more things. I lied. I said like a couple. Uh, this Wednesday, the mobile food bank is going to be in our parking lot, so I think the first week that I was even here back in late January, um, the very first day I showed up, the mobile food bank was here in our parking lot, and I had the opportunity. If you want to come serve this Wednesday from 3 to 5, that's when they're going to be here. You can come get food, but uh, you can also be a part of uh, distributing that food, and, and it's been an amazing thing to watch how that all comes to fruition. So if you have time, if you're available, if you're not working that day, whatever the case is, and you want to come throw some boxes around and shake some hands and meet some people, I want to encourage you to, to take advantage of that. Next Sunday is July 4th, and uh, we celebrate this nation's independence. We made the decision to have one service that day. So if you normally come to the 9 a.m. service, you're going to be early. If you normally come to the 11 o'clock service, you might be by yourself. 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, we can't do anything easy. We gotta do it the hard way, so we're gonna pick a time we don't meet. 10 o'clock, that's when we're gonna have our service next Sunday. It'll be online too. There's gonna be nursery care provided. We're not gonna have any uh, children's ministry activities uh, in other parts of the building that day. We're gonna have some packets and stuff for the kids, but uh, one service, 10 o'clock. If you're joining us online, it's at 10 o'clock. And uh, of course, if you're online, you can watch it or participate anytime. But I uh, wanna encourage you to just kind of lock that in your brain. So next week, Next week, 10 o'clock, we will see you here or online. And then finally, I'm super excited about this. Um, the Back to School Fair is coming up in August. Now, this is my first. Everything, all these things are my firsts. But uh, the Back to School Fair is, again, one of these opportunities that we as a church have to express what it means to be for the region. And uh, we're able to provide school supplies for students, but also haircuts, uh, all kinds of different things are going to be happening in our back lot over here, and uh, you get to be a part of that. So pretty quickly, you're going to see an opportunity to sign up to help. 
Now, Ch Chandra Ostrander, she is our operations director. She's in charge of this event, but my goal this year, even though I've never been here for this, is to flood her with volunteers so that she's not kind of left holding the bag, uh, speaking that way. She's, she's not left there trying to cover all the bases herself. And so um, what you can do is you can actually download the app or go to the app and click on the button where find your place to serve. That'll let us know that you're interested. There's going to be other ways that are going to be promoted here pretty quickly, probably starting next week, for how to sign up to be a part of the Back to School Fair. Great opportunity that we have to invest in the lives of people around us. And so I want to encourage you to be praying and looking for an opportunity to engage in that. Let's see. I'm sure I can come up with like 10 other announcements if you're interested, but uh, I'm not. So uh, what I'm going to share with you is Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, through 23, you'll see it on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, so far in our series, we've looked at love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace. These are things that come out of our lives, spiritually speaking, as we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are spiritual fruit. They're not just fruit. They're not fruit that we make. These are spiritual fruit. We don't produce these. The Holy Spirit produces them. So our goal really in this whole series has been able not just to point to ourselves, but to be able to point to us as a body of believers, corporate body of believers, and say, this list, love, joy, peace, patience, all of these different things, this is us. This is who we are. We are love. We are peace. We are goodness. We are self-control. We are all of these things. And so that's really been the goal. This is real life church, which means that this fruit is just not a personal thing. This isn't something about you just being patient or you just being loving. It's about us. And all of these fruit are really revealed in our interactions with each other, how we relate to one another, how we talk to one another, how we treat one another. These are interpersonal fruit that we see expressed in our relationships. All of that to say, welcome to Rich Doring Day. So if you've been thinking, all right, Doring, yeah, you've been going through these, love, joy, peace, you've been telling us, you know, these are the things that you're supposed to see in your life, and da-da-da-da-da, and you're up here just pontificating, and all this stuff, like you got this all together. Well, welcome to Rich Doring Day, because if there was ever one of these that you were going to put your finger on, and my wife will confirm this, and say, all right, Doring, if you're going to talk about one of these, and one of these is the one you struggle with the most, this is it. This is it. This idea of patience. Now, okay, so here's what makes this worse. This is what makes this worse. As if it was enough just to lack patience, these other fruit, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you kind of need patience for those things to work, right? If you're going to be loving, you've got to be patient. If you're going to be kind to somebody or gentle, you're going to have to be... Okay, so this, this screws everything up for me, all right? Our willingness to allow the Spirit to produce patience in our lives actually determines whether or not people experience those other fruit from us, all right? Now, if you tell me that the fruit of the Spirit is love, I like that. 
That sounds pretty good. It's romantic. You know, I mean, people write songs about love. The only song that I know, particularly about patience, came out my freshman year in high school. And it was sung by a guy. Well, we'll just say this. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can ask my wife later. She does a really good impression of Axl Rose. So uh, you can, I'll, I'll put her on the spot. So you can, you can ask her later. But here, here's the reality, okay? If you tell me that I show the fruit of the Spirit by being patient, that screws a whole lot of stuff up for me. That messes some things up. That's why these fruit of the Spirit, they're not just some nice little thing that you throw on Instagram, really pretty, you know, with flowers around it and all kinds of stuff. This isn't just, these aren't just pretty statements. These are actually a diagnosis. They're a diagnosis of whether or not we're allowing the Holy Spirit really to work in our lives. Not just individually, but corporately. As a church, are we allowing God to do in us and through us what he needs to do? And if these fruit are not evident, we have to reckon with that. We have to address that. Now, I am so impatient that I get impatient about my impatience. All right? And so I thought I was going to be really cute. I just, I mean, I keep talking about Shelly. Uh, but I, I texted her. I said, all right, I need an example. Give me one example of what it looks like when I'm impatient. And this is the text exchange. So, yeah, being hot, being hungry. So she didn't stop. It wasn't just one. <laughs> Clothes missing. The boy's not moving fast enough. Then there's this one, finding underwear. I don't remember being impatient about that, but she does. Uh, being on time. The remote being lost. Yeah, I think, okay, so... <laughs> So we get to this point where I was like, okay, I think you're done. I think you're done now. No, I'm not done, but assume you have enough examples now. Is that what you mean? I love you. <laughs> All right, so this, this is Rich Doring Day. It's Rich Doring Day, okay. Now, I know word studies aren't everybody's thing, but when it comes to this one, I think it's important to know what we're working with and the kind of a word that Paul is using here. There's a lot of different words for patience in the New Testament and in the original language that, that uh, the Bible was written in. The word Paul uses, though, and I bet it's in some of your Bibles and you've heard it this way before, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Okay, that doesn't make it any better. Patience is suffering for a long time. Okay, I like joy, peace, love, those sound great. And then suffer long. That does not sound good at all. This is not moving in the right direction. So it's long-suffering, meaning a willingness to endure with something, or probably more specifically, someone. Someone. A trial, it's an affliction, or a relationship. And that right there, that's the kicker. That's the kicker right there. It's the idea that patience involves relationship. Now, I think, I think that we would all agree that it, I think it's easier to be patient about a circumstance than it is about a person. For example, you walk into a restaurant, every single table is packed, and there's a line. If you get impatient in that moment, it's kind of wasted because you don't have any control over that. Nobody does. The restaurant's full, right? So being impatient and getting all you know, worked up about that, I mean, like you've been served an injustice because everybody else needs to eat too. I mean, so that's, that's kind of different. I mean, I get being a little bit frustrated by that. You walk into a restaurant and there's three open tables 
And then there's three servers standing against the wall over there, all three of them looking at their phones. Okay, that's a different ball game, right? You're not, you're not impatient with the restaurant anymore or the situation. It's those three, right? It's easy to get impatient with people. But the word Paul uses here has like a little, it's like a little twist to it, and it makes it a little bit different. The word Paul uses for patience is used passively. Okay, so I'm going to explain to you why that is messed up and why it screws a whole lot of stuff up for me. What it means is our lack of patience with people, I mean, you would think it doesn't mean we just lay down and let things happen, you know, we actually engage. I mean, if the tables are open and they're not doing their job, you should wave them down, right? Like, hey, come over and do your job, you know? I mean, we should be doing that, right? I mean, we should be actively engaging. We don't just sit there and accept other people's, people's failures or perceived slights against us. We, we're active, right? Paul messes with that. He messes with all of it. The word Paul uses, are you ready? Standing by for a situation or person that likely needs to change. Standing by. Waiting. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh my word. I mean, stab me in the eyes. This is, how does this work? It turns out that the word that Paul uses here actually means literally sitting around and waiting. Sitting around and waiting. No. So I've, um, I've had the privilege for the last six or seven years of leading and taking a group of people down to Guatemala the church that I served in Wisconsin has a partnership with a church down there. We go to a little village called Palmarcito, and uh, we've been serving with a church there, impacting the community, all kinds of different stuff. It's been really great, really neat partnership. So the last six and seven years, though, I've been in charge of that. I've been the one that's organized the team, the trips, the tickets, the travel, everything. The agenda, I'm, I'm the guy, right? And so... Um, and it's been intense. There was one year where we took about 20 people. Half of them were teenagers. So, I mean, you talk about the opportunity for a lack of patience. That was the trip. So, uh, but, but what's really interesting is uh, if you've never traveled out of the country or experienced a culture outside of the United States, it's easy to think that the world around revolves and adjusts themselves to the culture of the United States. I'm always dumbfounded when I take somebody to Guatemala and they're like, they don't do things the way we do. It's like, really? You're not in the United States anymore. You're in another country. And going to another country affords you the opportunity to experience the nuance of other cultures, other ways of doing things. It's really kind of a neat, neat thing. Guatemalan culture, though, is really different than United States culture and vice versa. And I'm an agenda guy. I'm North American to the core. I mean, I show up with a spreadsheet with a timetable on it and timelines. I've got plans. I'm organized. I know exactly what's about to happen, when it's about to happen. I had to go back to Racine this weekend to go do uh, my last wedding there. And uh, yeah, when I handed out the, the order of service to everybody on Friday nights, a couple of the guys were laughing at me. They're like, Pastor Rich, seriously? Three o'clock, walk in. 3.01, cue this song. 3.01 and 30 seconds seat the, like, I have a problem, okay, I mean, I have issues, <laughs> so, 
that's me. I show up on the scene and I know exactly what's supposed to happen. So the very first time we go to Guatemala, the very first time I take the big group to Guatemala, I got the, got the thing. You got to leave at three o'clock in the morning to drive down to O'Hare. You get on the plane, you fly into Guatemala City, you get picked up by the bus, the translators, the guy who's in charge, and then you got to go one hour, well, about 30 minutes down the road. You got to stop, first of all, for lunch at Pollo Comparo. You might not know what Pollo Comparo is. There's a few of them in the United States, mostly around Miami. Pollo Comparo is basically the Central American version of KFC, and it's awesome. You've got to eat there. Anyway, Pollo Comparo. So we eat at Pollo Comparo. We all pile back into the party bus, and, uh, and it is a party bus. There's lights inside, and they play music and all kinds of different stuff. But we jump back into the party bus, and we go four hours into kind of the volcanoes and everything down into the coastal plain. And it's a horrible road, and everything smells like diesel, and it's just, it is what it is. But finally, finally, you're getting there. So here's the agenda. We get there, we're supposed to stop at the church first, make a gentle appearance, say hi, you know, meet and greet, and then we're going to go to the hotel, we're going to eat dinner, we're going to check in, and then go to bed. Because tomorrow morning, guess what? Rich has his piece of paper with the agenda on it. Okay. So we're going to get up the next day and do what we're going to do. So we, we make this four-hour journey, and we turn the corner to go down the road where the church is on. And the church is probably about as far as the garden is across the street from me right now. We turn, and all of a sudden we stop because there's this massive parade right in the middle of the street. And we would have just gotten out and walked, but then we realize it's a parade for us. And all of a sudden you've got all of these little children who are running along with the bus. They've got giant banners, and they're literally... I'm, tra I'm training for a marathon, and I run really slow. These kids were like, like inching forward. And all of a sudden, there's this giant parade, and people are, you know, jumping on the bus. And all, it was just, it was craziness. So finally, we pull up to the church, and we get out. It was like we were rock stars, and we didn't even do anything. And we were, it was just awesome. And then we all pile into the church and we're meeting people and we don't know what's going on and all this other stuff. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, I've got an 11 by 17 piece of paper that says that we're going to check into that hotel and we're going to eat dinner here pretty soon. And so after 45 minutes of chit-chat and going back and forth and trying to find out what the translator wants us to understand and all this other stuff, we launched into, I kid you not, a two-and-a-half-hour hot prayer service with these Guatemalans. Okay, you talk about knocking a bunch of gringos from the United States off of their cultural platform. That was it. First of all, I was hungry, which is probably no surprise. I was, I was hungry. I'm like, hey, man, we got to eat dinner. There's, there's not a no-dinner option for Rich Doring. So we're, we're going to eat at some point. And, and it was two and a half hours. Okay, how do you do that? Anyway, so we ended up, you know, and we even got back to the hotel, and I think we're not going to eat. Just figure out, you know, go to the bar and buy some stuff, and then just go to bed because guess what? we got to wake up at 8 o'clock in the morning. Or we got to be there at 8 o'clock in the morning for our work day. And so that you show up the next day at 8 o'clock, and guess what? My piece of paper might as well have been flushed down a toilet because it was worth nothing. We show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they want to socialize for 45 minutes. Now, they had food too, so I can't complain that much about that. But they want to socialize for 45 minutes. 
Here's the deal. Guatemalans live by a different set of rules than we do up here in North America. Their focus isn't Rich Doring's agenda. Their focus is a relationship with me. Okay. Now, that means if visiting for two hours means that you start your church service an hour late, so be it. The most important part is that we're together. That we're together. You're going to meet at 8 o'clock in the morning to do work and you want to sit around and talk for 45 minutes and eat some food? That's what you do. That's more important. Now, if you're anything like me, if you're built like me at all, here's what you're thinking. What about all those other people that did show up on time? Just a little patience. Okay. Uh, I wish I could tell you that of all the trips that I've taken to Guatemala, that I've learned to change, that I've adapted to that, it doesn't. I, it, it took me a couple days every single time to realize your plans, Rich, aren't important. Your plans, Rich, aren't The stuff will get done, and if it doesn't get done, life goes on. Okay, life goes on. It always takes me a couple days to listen, stand by in a situation that likely needs to change. And guess what? It's not them that need to change in that situation. It's me. It's me. Why couldn't somebody else preach this? Okay. This is, this is my issue. Here's why. The same word that's used to describe God's patience with me and with you is this, 86, Psalm 86.15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. You're slow to anger, long-suffering. You're, you're not reacting. Okay? You're abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 103.8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 145.8, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding. You see, the, I mean, there's a theme, clearly. That God is not reacting quickly. When 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness. But is, and it's the exact word. He stands by. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any of us should perish, but that all would reach repentance. It's the same word. He's shown exceptional patience with me. So if God's willing to wait for me, if God's willing to create space and stand by for me to move into it so that I can become someone different, if he's willing to do that for me, should I not be willing to do that for others? Should I not be willing to do that? Listen closely. When you wait like that, it's, it is passive, but it's not. It's redemptive. It's redemptive waiting. It's standing by. Standing by even when that person disappoints you. It's standing by. It's creating that space. Even when that person does something that's hurtful. Even when that person stalls out. That's really, really hard, isn't it? Because waiting feels wasteful. Because we're wired differently. Is this us? Is this you? Now, again, you and I do not produce the kind of a patience that we're talking about. 
my wife and I joke all the time about my patience, right, or my lack of it. But, and we talked earlier, I've changed. I'm not like I used to be. I mean, it used to be, listen, full-on World War III if we were going to be not five minutes early to something. So, I mean, I've, I've grown. I've changed. I've matured. I've grown up a little bit. But ultimately, that's not because I've begun to produce patience in my life. It's because I've started to relinquish control and realize there's a whole lot of things in this world that are more important than my agenda and my timetable. And I've learned to relax just a little bit. Okay. But this is hard. The Holy Spirit does this as you surrender. So what do you need to surrender today? I can't answer that for you. I've just told you what my big thing is. It's control. It's control. Let me, look at, let me tell you what that looks like. The world around us or the world around me, maybe people, situation, whatever it is, acts in a way that I don't appreciate or doesn't move in the direction that my plans would dictate that they move. Uh, it doesn't line up with my agenda or my expectations or whatever the case is. And as a result, I, I, I feel slighted a little bit. So a little seed of indignation maybe gets planted in my heart, right? I have an idea. I have, this is, do you not understand? This is the way we are supposed to go. And, and you're not doing it right. You're not participating. And so at the same time, what happens is when we get indignant and we start to feel slighted, we tend to pull back from those people or that situation. Then what happens too is we start to like go to others to validate how we feel about being slighted in different situations. And we do it over and over and over again. And the biggest problem with that is what happens is if I do that, if I start pulling back from people that might do things differently than me or all that kind of different stuff, what happens is I begin to lose empathy. I begin to fail to see that person through the eyes of Christ and understand a few things. There's a reason that person's not moving as fast as I think they should be. Maybe there's a reason that that person is not changing the way they should be. And yet in my urgency and my desire to have my agenda and my, my ideas fulfilled that I push, 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 and I start getting indignant and start getting dissatisfied, and I lack a feeling of empathy for that person or what they might be going through. So the result is it hardens your heart. So what if the person that's in front of you is slow because literally that's as fast as they can go. Okay. What if your drink being empty on your table and you're upset about that? I mean, you're paying for it, right? I mean, this person ought to be thinking about their tip at the end of the day and you're paying them to serve you, which is an oxymoron if you wanted to know. You're paying them to serve you, so they should be filling your glass. Maybe that server, that woman has been in the bathroom looking in the mirror, cleaning up her makeup because she's just talked herself out of quitting on this verbally abusive boss, quitting one of her three jobs that she needs because she's a single mother. But your drink is so important, right? It's so important. That changes things, doesn't it? The, the older woman who seemingly just decided to share her life story with the cashier at Strax. And you've already placed everything on the belt and you're like, come on, lady. Maybe that's the only interpersonal 
interaction she's going to have all week long. We've become a people, I've become a people, who somehow are so used to getting what we want that we've somehow turned our wants into rights. And we feel like those wants and desires are infringed upon that, that we're entitled to something else. Here's what I know. I can pretty much guarantee that more times than somebody like myself wants to admit, I've been the perceived cause of somebody else's impatience. I've been the reason for it. And with that reality in mind, that means I've got a decision to make. Is my loss of perceived control over the universe something that I'm willing to damage a relationship over? If my lack of patience does things like hinder the fruit of love, hinder the fruit of peace among us, if my lack of patience does that, should that not be something that I should reckon with? If it's prohibiting this other fruit from being experienced, that's, that's a problem. Settling the fact that everyone else doesn't play a bit part in the movie of Rich Doring's life and serves my purpose and my control and my idea. One of the things that I love to do, and I've not been able to do it as much in the last 10 years, just because of scheduling and busyness and all that stuff, people always ask you what your hobbies are. Uh, food. Um, I love wood turning. I really, really enjoy wood turning. I've had the opportunity to create some, I feel like, neat pieces of art. Uh, and wood turning is interesting because, uh, first of all, it's a little bit dangerous, but um, I like creating things that you can use, not just a piece of art, but art that's useful. So you turn a bowl or a platter uh, and pens. I've done a lot of ink pens and stuff like that. That's always been a enjoyable to me. And what I'm sharing with you right now actually probably could be talked about more when we talk about the fruit of gentleness in a bit. But it applies to, I think, patience too. Because there's a real temptation. What you're doing, and I, I love wood turning because what you're doing is you're taking this rough piece of wood, but you're kind of coaxing out of it a form and a function that's usable. And it takes time and it takes patience to do that because you've got a obscenely quickly spinning piece of wood right in front of you and as it's spinning 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 around you're sticking a tool on it okay to try to shape it in a certain way and mold it in a certain way and you do it's it's some of it's just repetitive movements over and over and over and over again it looks like nothing's being accomplished but you're slowly slowly coaxing this form out of it and then all of a sudden as you get closer and closer to the end it takes its image as this bowl or it takes its image as a pen but I've done it enough times that I know that as you get to those moments, it's easy to get impatient or, you know, I know I'm supposed to be somewhere at a certain time or this or that and I really want to get this done and this is going to have to just bend to my will here in a moment. And so you take this tool that's called a gouge. That sounds a little harsh, right? You take a gouge to the wood and all of a sudden maybe you push a little bit too hard on that bowl and all of a sudden it tears into the end grain. Or you're turning a pen, and this has happened to me more than once, where you get down to where you're talking about just almost millimeters of wood thickness, and you're just like, we got to get this done, got to get this done, and you push a little bit too hard, you gouge a little bit too much, and it either breaks it up or sometimes just, just explodes right there on the lathe. 
because in my impatience, I've pushed too hard. In my impatience, in my idea of how this is supposed to happen and in the timing it's supposed to happen, I gouge that thing and do something to the point where now it's no longer a usable vessel. It's no longer a usable tool because it's been damaged by my impatience. I have a picture of a bowl that it's a beautiful piece of cherry wood. It's gorgeous. It has some, some nice figure in it and all kinds of different stuff. And I'd gotten almost done and then I worked it too hard. I was too impatient and that gouge grabbed a big chunk out of the lip of that thing and now there's a big hunk of it just gone. Gone. All of that work and because of my impatience it's no longer a usable vessel. In my impatience, do I not see how I might gouge or break those whom God is attempting to coax out a usable vessel? Waiting feels wasteful. It really does. I mean, I, I can't explain it any other way other than when you're waiting on somebody, you're wasting what? Time. Time. Listen, maybe in God's economy of time, waiting is redemptive. I'm not God. Neither are you. Maybe in waiting, there's some redemption happening. Think of it this way. You're not waiting in a passive way. It's more like restrained. You're allowing time for the blemishes to come to the surface, for the imperfections to be revealed, bringing somebody to a place where it's safe for them to face their failures, where it's safe for them to be crafted into a more usable vessel. The kind of patience that Paul is talking about here that's produced by the fruit of the Spirit is patience that offers people space and time, space and time, so that they can respond to what God wants to do in their life. And it's also an understanding that there are things that need to happen in that person's life or that situation you have no control over. And so it's literally standing by and giving space for God to do what needs to be done and not interfering. And there's way too many examples in Scripture to go over where people took matters into their own hands. I mean, it's all throughout Scripture. It's not passive, it's restrained. It's about standing by, waiting for them to respond to the transforming love of God. Rich Doring's impatient philosophy of love, well, sometimes people just need a swift kick in the pants. Can you relate to that? Until you're the one that needs it. Until you're the one that needs the swift kick in the pants. You know, then I'd rather, you know, hey, be patient. God's still working on me. This is real life. Be patient with me, okay? Have you ever tried to fix somebody? If you're married, um, how many of you, when you got married, you overlooked some things about your future spouse and in the back of your mind, you just kind of logged it and said, well, after we're married, I'll fix some of that. How's that going for you? <laughs> yeah, okay. The fruit of the Spirit that God wants to manifest in us, in us, operates differently. Patience is standing by for God to do what only God can do. It's patient endurance. And it's hard. It's hard. Now, really quickly, some of you may be thinking something, so I want you to listen to what I'm about to say very, very carefully. 
This is really important, okay? Patience does not mean turning a blind eye to abuse. And I have to say that. Patience is not turning a blind eye to abuse. If somebody is hurting you or somebody else, boundaries are what are needed in that moment. And I want you to hear me clearly. An emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, verbally abusive person needs limits. They do not need permission. Okay? They need limits. That's not what Paul is talking about when he talks about patience. He's not talking about letting yourself be abused or the people that you love. Standing by means that you recognize that you're likely not the person that's going to do anything to change that person. Okay? It doesn't mean that you stand there and you take a hit. Listen, I'm a big dude, and I've taken a lot of hits. I just don't, I don't recommend it. It's not fun. And sometimes it's really bad for your health. It's not good. That doesn't mean you just stand there and take a hit. I went to the Gospels looking for when and where Jesus showed patience. And frankly, I mean, first of all, it's all over. He's patient through the whole thing in a big way. But honestly, it's revealed most in a relationship, and it's his relationship with Peter, his disciple. Um, the relationship between Jesus and Peter gives Rich Doring hope. <laughs> it gives me hope. Uh, in fact, the very first time that, that Jesus encounters Peter, uh, it says in John 1.42, Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means Peter. And the word Peter means rock, stable, strong, secure, right? So Jesus did two things in that verse really quick. The text says Jesus looked at him. So he saw Simon just as Simon was. He saw him for who he was. But then he did this incredible thing where he painted this future. He created this space so that, yes, I see you right now, but I'm creating a space. And listen, you're going to be Cephas. You're going to be Peter. And it's almost as if Jesus was saying, look, with me, I'm creating a space for you now to move into. I'm creating a spot for change. Now, at the time, Simon was unmanageable. He was irrational. Uh, he was impulsive. He was the guy who, when he started talking, and I know you guys have these people in your life, and if I'm the guy, don't say anything, but you have this person that starts talking, and everybody kind of gives each other the side eye, like, oh, my word. Here we go. What's, <laughs> what are they going to say? That's Peter. That, that, that's him, okay? He's the guy who talked too much. He's the guy, when he should have said something, didn't say anything. He slept when he should have been awake. He acted when he should have been still. And when it mattered most, I mean, when it mattered the utmost, he failed Jesus. He abandoned Jesus. And yet Jesus didn't stop standing by and creating a space, saying, come into the space, Simon, and be Peter. He never stopped doing that. This is amazing to me. He just, he just kept doing it. After a long day of ministry, Jesus invites him. He opens that space and says, come away to a quiet place, Peter, and get rest with me. On the Sea of Galilee, he creates space and says, all right, all right, Peter, come out on the water. Come to me. He keeps creating these spaces, standing by 
waiting for Peter to walk into those places. After the resurrection, this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Peter's blown it. He's blown it. He denied knowing Jesus. Jesus is crucified, dead, buried, rose again. And Peter's given up so much, he's actually gone back to fishing. He doesn't think he's a disciple anymore. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Peter's so excited, he jumps out of the fishing boat. (laughs) He's so happy to see Jesus, but at the same time, he's failed. So what does Jesus do? This is amazing to me. He makes breakfast on the beach and just says, hey, Peter, why don't you come over and eat breakfast with me? And what he does is he creates a space. And Peter is able to, in this safe space, come to the place of admitting his failings, admitting his fears, admitting his sin, and Jesus restoring him because he's moved into this. And here's what happened. Over those courses, those three years with Jesus and even afterwards, Simon became Peter. He became that rock. So much so that after the the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, now he's got the Holy Spirit in him, he stands in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people and says words that Peter never would have said before. And thousands of lives are changed and the gospel gets propagated beyond anything they probably ever dreamed. All because Peter walked into a little space that was opened up for him. And we have a God who is willing to be patient, but none should perish. And he stands by for us, waiting for us to respond to his loving grace and the way he reaches out to us. That's patience. Being slow to anger, even when you're hurt, even when you're upset, willing to wait until they're ready to move into the space that God is opening up for them. So what is it today that you need to surrender so that God can use the Spirit to produce patience in your life? For me, it's control. I told you that. For you, I I don't know what it might be. It might be resentment. It might be bitterness. Maybe there's unforgiveness. For you, maybe it's control too. I think it's kind of a universal issue. Maybe it's control. I'm going to guess, though, that as we've been talking, it's not so much been a situation, but maybe a person that's maybe popped into your mind and that person is related to a situation, maybe. This isn't easy. This is real life. This isn't easy. And it isn't you who creates patience. If you wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be more patient today, that's a good thing. But in your own strength, you need, a, you need the kind of a patience that Jesus embodies. That Jesus embodies. It's not you who creates that. God breathes it in your life as you give more and more and more of your life over to the word of the Holy Spirit that's in you. I pray for us today that we would all seek to identify that. Would you stand with me? I also want to pray for us corporately too. It sounds a little different to say we need to be a people of patience, but let me, let me qualify that just a little bit. I'm going to guess that there are people in your life that either do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ or they definitely don't have a relationship with the church and they're not interested. Okay, I'm going to guess that you have those people in your life just like I do. People who, man, they just, they see the church as judgmental or whatever, whatever thing that it is. 
man, what does it look like for us corporately as a body of believers then to be a people of space, to be a people who create that space? Not a permissive space or anything, but a space where we pray, where we invite, where we seek, but we create that space for people and then we stand by and we anxiously await, prayerfully await when that person steps into the space God has created for them so that they might experience this transforming love of God. There's nothing we can do. I can tell you, I, I, I wished that I knew that there was a church out there when I was younger and my parents were still around where I could say, man, that, that is a church that would create a space for somebody like you too. To, to learn what it means to flesh this thing out, to ask questions while we stand by watching. It's fun. It's fun to watch all of a sudden somebody respond to the love of God. It's amazing what God can do when all of us will give him permission and allow him to do it. That's the kind of church we need to be, and I think it's kind of the kind of church we are. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to be able to point to this and, and, and say that this is us. But Father, we just, I guess today, first just need to reckon with the fact that you've been long-suffering with us. You've been long-suffering with me. And uh, you've extended me at a grace and a patience, and there's been so many times in my own life where I can point to where you've created this space and then you've stood by waiting for me to move into that space so that your work can be done in my heart, in my life. So, Father, first and foremost, we thank you with an eternal thanksgiving for your great patience for us, that you are willing that none should perish, but that all would experience eternal life through what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. But the, Father is, the, the reality is that we've had to respond to that, and you've been patient with us in that. And you're patient with us after we respond. When, Father, there's these moments where you continue to create spaces for us as a people to step into so you can move some of those rough edges off, so you can sand some of those grooves out, Father, so we can be the usable vessel that you desired and designed for us to be. So, Father, help us to, to stay on the wheel, so to speak, and allow you to form us and mold us and shape us. And then, Father, respond to your grace in our lives. I thank you for these people and what a privilege it is to be this church to be able to love one another, to experience joy and peace and long-suffering. Father, this is what it means to be the church. And Father, your grace is sufficient to meet us in every single need that we have. And so as we leave this place, as we log off today, I pray that you would help us to walk in step with the Spirit, Father, and allow you to transform us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Come to the Challengers game tonight if you can. Thanks.